What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod Quarantine Edition, kind of. We're kind of past it. it I guess it depends on where you're uh, listening from. But where I know where I am, I'm in stage three of reopening, Dave. Where are you at there in Boston? Two or three, I don't remember. I don't actually yeah. pay attention to it. I just treat it like it's still active. Yeah, wear your mask, stay home as much as you can. Yeah, uh, but we're bringing you your daily or your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. Pat Sheehan, Dave Martinson, as always, have a, a fairly good episode, although the well might be running dry soon. We, maybe <laughs> we'll talk about that at the end. Uh, but Dave, how you doing this week? Uh, doing good, man. Doing good. A24 recently announced that First Cow will be available to rent and buy digitally in the month of July which is uh, a new change uh, after initial plans to re-release that theatrically. So I recommend everyone check that out in the coming weeks. Great movie. Yes, and I think we'll be talking about First Cow and some of the other movies we like a lot on upcoming episodes, reviewing what's been good in pop culture and not so good this year. Uh, probably next week, I'm thinking. But we got a pretty a fairly packed show. We have two... Uh, two musical projects. I won't call them albums because one isn't an album. We have a Ryan Murphy show. Maybe we'll have a little Ryan Murphy discussion. And then two movies to talk about. And why don't we start with maybe your uh, I don't know, least favorite young rapper, Six Lack? Well, not a rapper. He's a singer. Uh, well, R&B singer. Uh, whatever he is, uh, I think this, this album, Six Piece Heat EP from Black, was... Um, Definitely not the most engaging listen of the year for me. Uh, I found myself kind of just zoning out. And when it's only six tracks, 18 minutes, um, I, I expect a little bit more. I did find it to be a fairly like, like vibey album at times. Like there's, there's definitely some, uh, some nice flourishes, but overall just found this to be pretty underwhelming. Did you like this, this one? Oh, no, no, I did not. Six-piece hot EP. Black has never vibed with me, despite the fact that he is, in fact, a vibe, vibey singer, as you said. I think the problem with Black, basically the whole time, you know, he's got two, two albums that have been successful for him, two albums out. Uh, that vibe is just not interesting or engaging, like you said. It's very generic. It's very sleepy. The production yeah. never wows you. And I, I just have never really understood his appeal. I think part of it is he's a good looking dude. I understand why ladies like him, but I just find him incredibly middle of the road when it comes to R&B. And there's just a lot more exciting options. If this is what you're looking for. I don't think he's doing anything that someone else isn't doing better. Well, you know, I, I did find one, one song on this album or on this EP that i liked you know I, I thought float was probably the best song in my opinion i felt like i'm pretty sure there was like some a horn section a little saxophone flourish here and there on it um and it just kind of felt like like the title like you were floating a little bit on it so i i dug that to be honest the, re- the rest is pretty underwhelming and I, I have to say pretty forgettable although i have to say little baby when he popped up wasn't his best uh, feature, but I still <laughs> thought it was like a, a moment of, of engagement on the album, so I thought that was nice. 
yeah i mean i, I really don't have a lot to say i've, I've always really disliked his music uh, like his <laughs> big his biggest hit problems massive song for him i don't get the appeal at all and like I, I, he hasn't really shown much growth to me um you know he he he's, his lyrics are what they're it's he it's all, it's all about love and relationships and how mm-hmm. he's more down with being single and putting himself and his kid first nothing that out of the ordinary um but i i just he has a decent voice too i just think if he made a different kind of song it would actually you would hear it better you know but he's always just kind of washed out and again these really like lame beats i don't know it's just it's some soft ass shit and i don't like it uh, i know you're not big on the soft stuff anything on here that you thought was even no. decent no, no just listen to the weekend is this your worst or least favorite album of the year or record uh, well that's a tough one out of the ones we've reviewed i can't remember you being this down but it's just nothing good to say no yeah maybe maybe you know summer uh, walker has an ep coming out on the 10th uh that's another r&b singer that i think just brings a lot more to the table i just again i just really don't know what black brings to the table and maybe if he wasn't as popular, I wouldn't feel so strongly about it. But it's almost like because he's a successful artist, I just don't understand why. Mm. And that's why I have a strong reaction. I don't know. Well, uh, Black Six Piece Heat EP, uh, not not good. As Anthony <laughs> Fantano might say. But an album I thought was actually very good, Dave, was Haim's third album, Women in Music Part 3. Right. Uh, we reviewed Haim's last album something to tell you back when we were uh i don't know just starting off the podcast just audio only days and man gotta say i feel like that album we felt like was a bit of a mess not totally uh not not like a cohesive image or, or plan and days days are gone i think was like a flash you know there were flashes moments the wire yeah uh, songs that really stood out, but not like as a cohesive project. Women in Music Part Three, third album from this group, obviously, feels like them, as we talked about other artists this year, leveling up as a as a group, um, really finding a more cohesive sound that kind of consistently moves through their music, even as they kind of test out these new genres on here. Mm-hmm. And it also felt like the songwriting was just a lot more personal. Um, but flowery, more metaphorical than in the past. And I, I found myself really digging uh, the track-to-track movement on this album. How are you feeling, though, about Haim, Women in Music Part 3? Yeah, I like this a lot. Uh, yeah, that, that, that growth is pretty evident with this one. Uh, almost, There are some more poppier songs on here. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's still pop, pop rock, you know, but... Uh, it is cool to hear them kind of branch out, and I've you know if you read some of the the profiles and stuff around this, you'd see that the Haim sisters have maybe c- come to understand their place in rock a little bit better, and they are more confident in their stature, and thus mm-hmm. are more willing to do what they want, which is yeah. re- obviously a really cool attitude that you want more artists to be comfortable having, and I think for the most part, it manifests really well on this and this album that flows really well. And it's not, it's not even that short, but I, 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 I think it uh, certainly earns its runtime. So I liked it a lot. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed 
pretty much every track. I, I don't think it's a perfect album. I think there might be a skip or two on here. Um, but I got to say, I really liked how they kind of set the vibe and just the album is kind of framed around Los Angeles. Start the first track, Los Angeles, this kind of like jazzy feel to it, this like saxophone like uh, kind of coming in with this little like do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Mm-hmm. And then they come back to that at the end and the first song is really about uh, if or it feels a lot like um them kind of growing tired of la kind of trying to find where like the right place for home is for them and then that last track almost feels like that longing to like be back in la and like that push and pull of like where they feel at home i thought that was really good and that last track it's a bonus track but summer girl uh actually has lou reed on the songwriting because i think they really stole a lot of that that sound for that song from take a walk on the wild side um mm-hmm. the bass is i think is almost exactly the bass from that song so I, I thought that was pretty awesome um there's also a lot of i think really cool moments of them trying out some sounds on here were there any songs that really stood out to you in, in terms of them trying out some new sounds for him uh yeah one one more thing on summer girl too uh there's a story in vulture about how they invited their friend paul thomas anderson over to the studio to hear a demo of that song like a year or two ago. Um, and I thought it was cool too that they have these b- distinct bonus tracks at the end of the album. And those are basically all the singles or older songs that we had heard and they were just kind of thrown on there, but there actually was like a full, more sonically uh, robust album before those bonus tracks that everyone had already heard. So I like that touch. Well, uh, yeah, PTA I, directed, I think, the music video for Summer Girl yeah, as well. Yeah, so. which, is, which is really cool. Um, yeah. I really like the steps. I really like mm. 3 a.m. Mm, um, yeah. Don't wanna, and then even at the end, all that ever mattered. I, you know, I, I think you can find there's a lot. There's a lot to like dig into with this album, and uh, I think a, a lot to go back to. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting sure. because you you think of like the the sisters, and you think of this the music we get from them, and I think pretty solid guitars are pretty are consistent on their in their discography and then you have like what uh danielle's kind of unique vocals i yeah. guess you know and and that's still consistent on this so it's still familiar music for heim fans but mm-hmm. i think again like we said they began to branch out more which is which again is really exciting because they're a an act that i think people have been holding up in high esteem for some time and wanting to continue to deliver on that promise so yeah it's t- I, I don't see how anyone could be disappointed with this one yeah. yeah, I think the last time we heard Danielle Haim's vocals was on Father of the Bride last year prior to this album. That's right. And I, I think I can feel a lot of that um, a lot of that influence from Vampire Weekend, Ezra, Rostam produced this album. Um, and, you know, I, I think songs like, uh, I had it here in my notes. I've been down. Uh, there's like a speaking part right in the middle. Yep. It feels mm-hmm. very much like it was almost taking from a Vampire Weekend song. You know, I'm, I was like, oh, I can, I can, I can hear that. Now I'm in it. Has the sad poppy feel to it that's kind of distinct from the rest of the songs. And the uh, the Pitchfork review, actually, I think had a great call where they talked about how that could have been on Lover, you know, from Taylor mm-hmm. Swift or, yeah. or something like Fair that. Friend. Yep. So they have all these different influences coming out. They kind of jump. Uh, one song I thought was really interesting from them was All That Ever Mattered. The ending, they kind of go into this like 80s glam rock guitar solo with like these like distorted screaming like put into it. And I thought that was just a really 
uh, unique song for him. And um, it, yeah, I just thought it was really cool to see them kind of jump through genres. I mean, The Steps is like this country rock song, right? And that, that I guess probably feels more in line with um, I've Got Something to Tell You, uh, their second album um, than the first one, but they seem to really be maturing. Um, you know, you caught you named some of the tracks. One track I just really liked, I don't know why, was uh, Gasoline. I just found the song to be really infectious. I thought, like, the way that they kind of build it up around this, like, really groovy bass line and these, like, sparse drums, the guitar comes in with this, like, really groovy lick, and then these descending pianos around the chorus just was really well, well built. So, I don't know. Uh, I, I uh, feel like we'll be talking about this album more as the year goes on, but really exciting to see them moving forward as a band. Any last thoughts on this though? Uh, just, just happy it came out. You know, this was delayed uh, at least once due to coronavirus. Supposed to come out earlier in the spring, I want to say middle April, and they obviously delayed it when things were more dire. And then they just kind of abruptly were like, "Ah, screw it, it's coming right now." You know, which, which is, which is cool. Um, and, and I think more and more artists are seeing that you can still uh, find that moment as large blocks of the listening public have adapted to this new reality where traditional press is not what it what it is for art. You know, I, I think I think we'll, we'll see what the numbers do with this album, but I imagine Haim is not going to be too worried about that. Obviously, they can't lead into a tour, as we know, but mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I'm happy. I'm happy it's out there. Definitely happy it's out there. Um... I'm wondering if you feel as happy that we got the season politician, the the politician season two out. Sorry about that. Uh, Ryan Murphy's Netflix show. We reviewed season one last year. Ben Platt at the helm. Gwyneth Paltrow, probably the most famous uh, supporting actress in all of this. And uh, yeah, I think season one, we felt like there were some interesting moments, but overall pretty much a letdown. Um, Season two, where were you at? Same boat? Yeah, so it's so interesting because this is a show that Netflix gave a two-season order to right from the jump. Even though if you watched the the title screen for either season, you'll notice that it was still a Fox TV Studios production, obviously resulting from Murphy's prior uh, deals and whatnot. So it's not exactly like a, Netflix didn't like make it. They just kind of like bought the show. And, and that leads me to believe I don't think we're getting a season three. But yeah, so like going into the season two, we already knew they had made this, right? Regardless of the season, regardless of season one was like handled well. And then we knew that we're just going to like abruptly like change everything about the show by moving out of high school into a college setting from a student body president position or whatever it was to state senate, New York state senate. And you're just throwing Bette Midler and Judith Light into yeah. the cast in a major way. <laughs> it's like it's like a lot a lot a lot of change uh, yeah. in one season. Yet I think much like the first season of of the show, the politician just doesn't have a tone that seems to I think resonate with the subject matter it's trying to tackle. Like mm-hmm. it, it it has a lot of really over the top moments that it treats in a very serious way, and thus I don't think there's really any comment on politics or anything with this show. So you're just kind of left with a weird thing, which is like a lot of, it's a lot of tougher Ryan Murphy shows. You're kind of left with something in between. And I think with the politician, you know, it's like, I think Ben Platt's pretty, pretty well liked, talented guy. And again, this season, he gets to do a little bit of his song and dance 
as, as a talented guy. I let him go to the piano. I did not mind that at all, by the way. But he can't elevate these scripts. Like, it's just kind of absurd. Yeah. You know, it's... I feel like this show is doing the most. Um, and and it almost feels like they're trying to do too much with it. Because, I mean, just thinking about all these characters, all these different storylines, all these different moments they get. And then you have Gwyneth Paltrow, I feel like, playing a much more a much larger role in this season in terms of uh, the overall plot and kind of where the show might be going if there is a season beyond this. Um, And I I think probably somewhat intentionally and probably somewhat not intentionally. uh, I don't know if there's a character uh, I really connect with, with this show. You know, they're all these very affluent um, white people, except for one or two characters Mm -hmm. um, living in, up sky living in new york city um you know in the highest of of uh positions of power that you can be for someone that age and yeah they it's just all ridiculous and i think that's kind of the point of this in a a sense is like to make Mm -hmm. the political nature seem ridiculous but i think in order to really like follow a show and enjoy it you also do need to have buy-in some of the characters and like some of them and i don't really know who i ended up liking here yeah you know it's I think that was that was a big big takeaway from the first season too. Is you're watching this really over the top storyline where you're riding around this high school and you're like, but look at this high school. It's these affluent California rich kids, right? It was California, I think. I yeah, know. they were in California. Yeah, these 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 really really rich kids, and it's like these like one percent problems. I don't like. It's hard to emphasize with them when they're also kind of dislikable as characters, right? And then this time, what you mean we have. I think one of the improvements as a character would be uh, Infinity, Zoe Deutsch's character. I think she's just a better presence on the show. Now she's kind of transitioned as a, into a climate activist character. But again, everything's really over the top, so it, it's hard, hard to think to have like a lasting moment. But like the rest of the cast for me that we had carry over from season one, mainly everyone, Peyton's friends and campaign uh, colleagues, right? Mm-hmm. I think they none of them really make a big impression this season at all. They kind of just feel in the background. James, Sky in particular, barely involved. Yeah. Uh, I guess McAfee pops up a little bit. But it, it just felt like they're just kind of like window dressing now. And the whole presence of uh, Lucy Boynton's Astrid character even being in this season at all just felt completely contrived and unnecessary. Yeah. It's not amounting to anything worthwhile, right? So It seemed like they... they had no idea what to do with that character from from the get-go the fact that she's on the team to begin with and then she's she changes sides in the first episode then she becomes part of this thruple and then uh convinces uh alice to go to this retreat this pregnant woman retreat it's all just very all over the place and i think they were trying to go for something with the Astrid Alice dynamic that just never totally mm-hmm. came to fruition, seemed to be half-baked. Alice's character, I think, might have the most growth in terms of character, but that all seems to happen very quickly in the last two or three episodes up until, uh, you know, she kind of has this crisis of role. Um, she's very much just in that role, and it actually seems to be kind of enjoying it and driving the ship. Mm-hmm. Um you know, when you try to think about what this show is really about and, and centering around Ben Platt's uh, Peyton, it's obviously the show about, you know, 
what does it mean to be about a politician? Are these people as shallow and, and hollow mm. as they appear to be? Right. What are the driving forces? Exactly. What are the driving forces that drive them to become the people that they are? And that that's kind of, I guess, the, the one consistent throughout the season is it's kind of Peyton is put in these positions where he has to examine what it means to be him and to uh, then choose, you know, what, what decision actually embodies the person I am. Um, but I don't actually think that's ever really defined well. And I think what it comes down to is Peyton is just that hollow. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it kind of feels uh, a you bit knew that since the very first that. episode, though, you know? Right. And it's like, it hasn't, we haven't had any work done to change that, uh, you know, frame of mind. So it, no matter how much you might like Ben Platt as a talent, uh, it only goes so far, right? Like you, and yeah. as a result, what we get less. David Cornsweat, as you'd expect this season. Um, I guess well, I did one like cameo. Yeah, or the second one, the end too. He doesn't say anything. Yeah, oh, but it's like I, I don't mind that him being like a ghost in Peyton's head. I wish it was again. I should announce something. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think my my favorite stuff had to be uh, Bette Midler and Judith Light, man, just because oh, yeah. they're almost always together. But they they just seem to really be having a lot of fun on this show. And in a sense, they almost are helping remind the viewer how ridiculous you're seeing everything is that this kid is actually like running for state senate mm-hmm. with no qualifications and all that, right? Yep. So I enjoy their presence in the show and like the whole stuff with the thruples uh, and the the over reliance of spe- uh, saying the word thruple out loud in the early going. Mm-hmm. Th- that shit was pretty ridiculous to me too, right? And like you have. On the other side of that, we have what this whole thing with Didi's vice president hopefulness, right? And she's gonna what ride into the sunset with some guy who looks like Dan Crenshaw with two eyes, like, and then that guy just totally leaves the show a few episodes in when like his character, you know, doesn't have his character. So it's like it just, it's just messy, man. And I, and I, they intentionally leave the show the season open at the end for a season three. I just don't see what the point of that would be because they're, they're, we haven't had any like success nailing a tone and nailing yeah. any kind of true comment about the obviousness of political ambition that we've the show has pointed out in graphic fashion since day one. You know, so it, it's got to be it's got to be a disappointment, I think, for anyone who's watched all of it. Yeah, uh, I think it's incredibly disappointing. You mentioned the part where. Peyton sings in the bar at you know I think the last episode or second mm-hmm. last episode and um I mean just kind of random like you're just like we got Ben Platt we got to make him sing at some point let's put him in, in this bar singing and put Judith Light and Bette Midler in there as well yeah um it, and it almost kind of feels like why pick Ben Platt to play this character you know I mm-hmm. guess you needed somebody that looks younger and Ben Platt can play I think a little bit younger than his age yeah um, that, that is that is pretty funny that's still the case right he's he's about 30 <laughs> Like yeah, <laughs> 31, and he's playing a 20-something 20 20, year old. Yeah, 22, 23-year-old, something like that. But it just feels like a waste of, of his talent to have him like traditionally acting for most of the time. Um, we just wanted to talk quick about Ryan Murphy. I mean, we've seen a couple of shows from him. We saw, talked about Hollywood earlier this year. This is obviously mm-hmm. second season of Politician. Uh, the shows he's made for Netflix. Got a huge deal from Netflix to be yep. creating content. Where are you at with him? I feel like he might be the most overrated creator out there right now. 
Yeah, well, I think I think that's kind of been the thing. He's always been overrated from a critical standpoint, but he's made popular shows almost the whole time. He's been a major creator, you know, producer. So it depends what you're evaluating him on. You know, like I think apart from what American Crime Story, he hasn't really made anything super well lauded. Well, but Pose, ma- I'd say, I guess. Oh, and Pose, true, and Pose. Yeah. And maybe maybe the first season American Horror Story, something like that. But then again, American Horror great. Story's been on almost a decade and it still does a really good rating, you know? And yeah. Glee yeah. was a huge phenomenon, even if yep. it kind of fell off a cliff after the first few seasons, you know? Uh, Scream Queens. I, I ride for Scream Queens. That actually yeah. wasn't that big of a hit. Nine one one, which is on Fox yeah. still, that that's done pretty well for him. So you know what? as I'm looking through, I feel like that might be a hasty statement to make, but uh, maybe he's not the most overrated. Because looking here, I mean, Pose last year was an Emmy darling. You know, you had, yep. I think it had a couple of Emmy wins. So, yeah, Billy uh, won. yeah, I think it's just this, I think it's just a sense that whenever I watch it, his stuff and tune in, I'm pretty underwhelmed by it. Um, but like you said, it's popular stuff and people really seem to dig his style. So uh netflix i think knows what they're doing probably getting more return than i'm giving them credit for but i think i'm just marred by the these shows that feel like they could be so much more falling so flat recently and kind of my my question too is you if you've watched politician season two since it came out what two fridays ago it seems like it's been in their top 10 shows nearly the whole time but i always wonder are people like really tuned in to watch this show or is it just in the top 10 because it's been plastered on the front page of Netflix and thus being thrown in front of tons of people that are just trying it on, trying it out. You know, we don't know that Netflix doesn't give us that kind of insight. So in a sense, I don't know if we could ever know if Ryan Murphy is worth the money to Netflix, right? Because in a sense, if they can make anything be watched, then why spend a lot of money when you can make shit like, uh, floor is lava which has a really low production production budget yet is their number one show right now you know we we don't know but netflix definitely does and they've given out a lot of big deals to people beyond murphy so i guess it's working for them well from one politician to another or are they out in wisconsin we're twist (laughs) we're going to john stewart's uh First directorial debut. I think it's the second movie, actually. Uh, second. Yeah, hold on. Yeah, hold on. Yeah, he, he, he's. It's his first in a while. I thought he's. I was. I thought he directed something else. Uh, where is it? Rosewater. Yes, 2014. Written, directed, and produced by John Stewart. Is that an original? Yeah. Or is that a documentary? Yeah, it's about Iran. I have not seen it. Interesting. Interesting. Well, John Stewart's first known project to the mass, I say. Uh, yeah. But no, second second film, um, Irresistible, starring Steve Carell, supporting actress Rose Byrne. You got Mackenzie Davis in this. Mm-hmm. Um, fairly, fairly stacked Chris Cooper, cast. come on, man. I mean, you got a couple of, of really uh, cool cameos, too. You have um, Topher Grace, mm-hmm. Tasha Leone. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's a couple others I'm forgetting at the moment, but it overall it's a, a pretty stacked cast. A lot of people obviously want to be a part of this. Support John Stewart, very popular person in the political comedy popular culture sphere. 
Uh, I was I was looking forward to this. I thought this, you know, John Stewart's got a very good perspective, especially on politics. Probably has a, a lot to say, and I found it irresistible to be pretty underwhelming, um, mostly because I didn't find the story to be super engaging, and I think also following Carell and Rose Byrne playing these like political operatives who are trying to push their parties uh, forward and are just very grimy Washington yeah. DC types just is, is a tough, uh, tough people to get behind when you also have these, these, you know, middle America, uh, normal ass people who are also very attractive and good looking and nice and mm-hmm. probably could have been, uh, fleshed out a little bit more, but instead we get Steve Carell being a, a democratic sleaze. How do you feel about Irresistible? Yeah, so as I think everyone knows, John Stewart's been retired for a few years now from The Daily Show. Trevor Noah mm-hmm. took his place. And apart from, I think when he made some waves advocating on behalf of 9-11 first responders and survivors and stuff like that, it's, he's, kind of, he's kind of been, you know, retired, which which is fine. And what we expect but to have him come back and make something that's some kind of political drama there is inherently something riding on that just because john stewart when he was in the game was a thoughtful guy who made a lot of waves right for for many years yet irresistible is just out of touch in terms of presenting any kind of uh viewpoint right like wait our lead character in this movie is a Clinton veteran? Really? Yeah. <laughs> that was the guy we picked? Like, the whole point of view of this movie, which goes so far out of its way to be nonpartisan, like, it's like, oh, oh see, this, this movie is for people that are enthusiastic about Joe Biden, right? Actually, pro-Biden, not so much anti-Trump. It's like, like, what is our point of view here? I also, from the trailers, expected Rose Byrne to have a much larger presence on the show. I actually thought she was quite good in this as a, almost, what, Kellyanne Conway uh, satire. I don't know. You know, her her butting heads with Carell was enjoyable and fun, but she's not in the show uh, in the movie all that much. And there's kind of like a late eleventh hour twist in terms of the story of Irresistible, and then seeing whether that twist actually goes and like the it the what what's what's our takeaway supposed to be a comment about the the media and. Yeah, uh, polarization. I mean, it's like I, there, like nothing was said, and I I was just going in expecting this to either be funnier, given the people involved, or actually have some kind of point of view that wasn't immediately out of date in 2016. Yeah, it, it it's interesting. Like you said, it goes out of its way to be nonpartisan in in a lot of ways, but it also, I mean, I think similar to the politician is trying to highlight the ridiculousness of politics and this, you know, take this small town where there's like 500 people and they're using advanced a- analytics and uh, pouring all this super PAC money in there. And it's just, it feels so overwrought with like over like heavy handed metaphor about what it's yeah. trying to say about the political system. And, and uh, you know, you have Carell who we've talked about him recently with space force and um, you know, some, some, some good movies, some bad things he's made recently. I feel like he was 
having a decent time, but also like was pretty meh in a lot of ways. And like you said, Roseburn stood out. I thought Mackenzie Davis with what she had to work with was pretty uh I don't know, delightful might might be a good mm-hmm. word. And Chris Cooper, I think, also, you know, seems to be really crushing that old man role that he just keeps getting cast in. Yeah. Uh, as an older man now. Um but yeah, just this movie was pretty lackluster in so many ways and um subtlety, I don't know if that's John Stewart's uh I don't know, his forte right now. And, like when the movie ends too and you see what what were their names? The two um two Phil's the two characters with the same name from the town, I forgot. Um oh, yeah. they're like talking and they're, and then they're like, Oh no, it's like that's a great metaphor. Oh actually it's a simile. It's like, hey look, see? People from the Midwest are smart too. It's like really? Really? Like that's what we're going with? The like the 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 middle America people outsmarted the coastal elites. That that's all you got? Really? Right. Uh, it just it just didn't actually seem that intelligent at the end of the day. And like and Carell's character it is immediately set up. You're watching it and you're like, oh wow, this guy really is out of touch as fuck. Mm-hmm, and right. Well, we're supposed to watch him become slightly less out of touch after going through this, albeit ridiculous story. Like mm-hmm. that, and then like, I don't, I don't, no, I don't think anyone's that excited to watch a Clinton vet get woker. Like, I don't know. It's just. And does he even get woker? I mean, it, no, he doesn't. He him, doesn't. Yeah, having these fantasies and ending up with you know, in with Rose Byrne. So I guess it's kind of like the Kellyanne Conway and. Uh, what's his name is uh, George Conway like yep. of the political world. Um, Mackenzie Davis's character in this, which I find kind of funny. She's 28, 29 supposed to be. Yeah. Goes on to be mayor of this town. Isn't she probably just going to end up in the same political system that these two are trying to churn out anyway, like a 29 year old mayor in Wisconsin probably is going to be fast tracked onto some, level like kind of like the politician onto some level of uh i don't know i i feel like the it, like having her end up being the mayor in the long run is probably just saying like oh yeah like she's gonna end up in the same system down the road was just my my take on it even though she fights for this small town i don't know just the whole thing just felt very absurd to me i guess um yeah definitely anything, definitely, definitely big disappointment man just cause... anything you did like really like yeah, uh, I, I I did like seeing the uh, the brief jaunt over to New York to glad hand for some donations. But again, it's just it's kind of obvious plotting. Like it's not like right. nothing really surprising. But I, I like Chris Cooper a lot in this. And as you said, he's kind of on a decent run of late with Homecoming season two and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. So yes. that's fun to see. And again, I, I like Burn a lot. I think between this this role. And then, of course, uh, Mrs. America, she's having a good 2020 uh, from mm-hmm. a career standpoint, which is nice. Um, and yeah, Mackenzie Davis is, in general, just really good presence, even if her roles are whatever. So, yeah, this is, uh, this is a movie, actually, I was going in pretty blind to, just to, you know, and it definitely did not warrant that level of discretion on my part, just because it's, uh, it's whatever at the end of the day and tough to recommend, given the initial high rental price. Well, Dave, let's move on to something that might be a little bit more fun to talk about. Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga, directed Mm -hmm. by David Dobkins, who you might know from Wedding Crashers, the Gary Sanchez production. You got Will Ferrell, 
in the lead role as Lars. You have Rachel McAdams in the co-starring role as is, is it Sight? Sin? Sure. Yeah, something like that. Um, the Icelandic duo who's obsessed with, or I guess you should say Lars is obsessed with the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, unexpectedly end up making it to it and hilarity ensues or does it that's what i want to ask you Dave. did you enjoy eurovision yeah i did like it i thought it was pretty fun could be funnier there could have been more jokes but that was pretty fun and what i was surprised to see with this is that the movie actually uh treats the eurovision contest the long obviously decades long phenomenon in europe that is not happening in 2020 it actually treats that contest, that institution, with like respect and, and, and homage in a way. And you could see that because they, they put so much time and effort into creating all these original songs for this movie yeah. and performed by the various contestants. So with really high production yeah. on the performances too. So I really liked all, all, everything about that. And I actually think this is one of the, you know, it, this, is, this is a far cry from anything close to Pantheon Will Ferrell, but I actually think this is his best movie in a long time. Hmm. Uh, and also, he, he, probably one of his better performances in a long time, too, because we got to remember, like, he had Downhill come out this year before Corona. Nobody liked it. He had, what, the uh, Daddy's Home movies. He had Get Hard. He, he's, he's had a lot of misses. Uh, Holmes and Watson. He's had a lot of misses lately. Mm-hmm. So I think this is probably one of his better movies until we look at like, the early part of the 2010s. <laughs> So yeah, he, it's late period Will Ferrell, but I actually yeah. I thought he was pretty funny, particularly when he was uh, making fun of the American travelers. Yeah, that that part was really good. Um, I, I I didn't really love Will Ferrell in this, and that might be because I found so many of the other actors around him just like totally shining. Rachel mm-hmm. McAdams was uh, I thought awesome in this, and I, I really found her character to be the most engaging. Besides our guy Dan Stevens, yeah, as Alexander Lentov, and man, uh, you want to talk about charisma? This guy comes in playing the villain, and you almost kind of want Rachel McAdams to end up with him. Like at, at one point, I'm like, man, is, I, I kind of want this to go a totally different way than I'm expecting right now. Right, and, and I think that's what's funny too, is because like this plot is is ultimately very predictable but formulaic. You, you see the beats before they happen. Yeah. Yet. Dan, the affect with Dan Stevens's performance, you're like, wait, is it going where I think it's going? Yeah, it goes there. But you're like, wait a minute. Like, you know, so I actually really liked that, you know. Um, and like the introduction to his character in earnest when you're at that party of his. Um, and it kind of leads into a almost pitch perfect s like sing along number, which again, really strong production values. It was kind of funny to see right before that scene, a very obvious green screen moment between Stevens and Adams where they're on the balcony overlooking Edinburgh, mm-hmm. even though they were actually shooting in the city, yet they needed a fake green screen shot, I guess, to pick up later. Don't know. But yeah, yeah I think in general, the, the production values were, were cool. Again, we're, we're in Iceland, you know? And yeah. the, uh, actually, the, the, elves, the elves coming back with the, with the knife later on in the story, I thought was... was actually laugh out loud hilarious i didn't expect that to happen uh gonna get the graham norton cameo which is nice too he's like kind of the most underrated of those uh late night hosts if you watch anything on youtube it seems he gets the best out of all his celebrity interviews yeah. so i don't know i, I think there's a lot here I, I, 
I agree. I think it, I think it's a fun movie. I wouldn't necessarily say it, it was good, but definitely a lot to I think enjoy. I, I really liked the bit with um, Demi Lovato, you know, playing yeah. this like star uh, Katiana, who's obviously going to win the song contest. She's just that good. Dies in this boat explosion, then comes back as a ghost to will Ferrell over and over but not a very good ghost or a helpful yeah. ghost which i thought was a pretty good bit um i i also there Did are you a lot see of the like, elves killed him <laughs> not a very good ghost <laughs> there are also a lot of like that like those people in there and one that i wanted to see if you could spot them was kevin swain did you recognize him at all no Have you, so is in, he one of the icelandic music he People? was like the head of Iceland's creative team, the one who like really liked Alexander, might have oh, actually right. had feelings for him. Uh, yes. He's he's the guy with the big teeth in um, uh, Fleabag season one that she goes on the date with and ends up oh, ditching. Wow. I, when I saw him, I was like, oh, I haven't seen, I've, I've seen that guy before, and, that, and then I spotted it uh, a couple scenes in. But you also have um, the the bad guy, Mikael Persbrandt, who mm-hmm. is the uh, the plumbing dad and um, sex education sex education yes um yeah i mean i thought this was really delightful even um i've never heard of her before but melissa anthony mahout um yeah, who played mita. mita i thought she was really electric when she was on screen and so i actually whole... have heard of her before i really? uh, i was looking i was looking just looking into it she plays cassandra in assassin's creed odyssey which is a very well-liked uh, performance from 2018 the video game of course and nice. she's playing a, a greek a, a greek warrior then and she's a greek actor and now she's playing a, a greek character in the show ah, kind of cool good for her definitely and uh, i think where when when it really thrives is when it's either stevens and mcadams on screen uh the performances like the the one where they really butcher it <laughs> with the wheel and they like yeah. Graham Norton, it's like the scarf the scarf and then she's <laughs> getting choked out i thought that was really good um or like you said i think when they're kind of bagging on america that was probably the other part i found most yeah. <laughs> enjoyable um any other thoughts on this yeah i mean pierce brosnan kind of yeah. token presence as the disappointed dad yeah of lars but whatever they did make some funny jokes about how he's uh banged half the town and stuff and they're like kind of making jokes at the expense of pierce brosnan's uh handsomeness which i thought was funny um also the whole thing about yaya ding dong play yaya ding dong and mm-hmm. they actually play it the second time at the end the guy who was yelling that from from the town uh played a small role on game of thrones i only knew that because i recognized his actor name johan's Johannesson. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, I think I think it was, it was pretty funny. And McAdams, you know, I think this is another like you said, it's a good turn from her. And we we had remarked on her return to comedy in 2018 with Game Night. I think this is a continuation of that. It's uh, you know cool to see her back doing, I think, some lighter stuff after spending some time in the drama uh, dungeons. So yeah, man, give her more comedy roles. Really delightful. And Dan Stevens too. Give him more roles as well. Yeah, uh, that that was pretty funny. That no, that that was good for him. You know, uh, Stan and McAdams they did not sing in this movie. In case anyone was wondering, that was uh, dubbed over by real, um, like European singers. 
And yeah. but if you, you can read into it, they they put a lot of work into making all of these songs and recordings and stuff. Which, like I said, I think is actually a nice touch for anyone who's a fan of Eurovision. They didn't they're not like lamb, lambasting anything with this movie. For sure, I, Will Ferrell definitely sang though. Pretty evident. Oh no, he did. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And like, and uh, it's like by design supposed to be bad. So you know, right? You don't have to. He's not to sell anything. All right, Dave. Well, that wraps it up for us this week. What do we got for next week? Next week, considering there's not much beyond the Disney Plus Hamilton release and some small rental movies, we may even get to those later. We'll be talking about 2020 thus far. Movies, TV, music, coronavirus, what's been good, what's been bad, what's been delayed, all that jazz. Coronavirus. Been actually a good year if you've been paying attention. And if you haven't, you'll definitely want to tune in. Yes. So tune in for that. Have a good 4th of July. Be smart, be safe, wear your masks. We'll catch you on the flip side. Hey.